Welcome to Web37, I'm Erica Lee, the NFT editor for 1.37pm. We want to highlight and help you get to know up-and-comers in the Web3 space. Thanks for joining us. So we're going to get started. We're very happy to have the Crosshouse team with us. How are you? We're doing well. And this is Commodore on the Crosshouse account. Awesome. Awesome. Hi, Commodore. We also have Justin Cohen here, um, a 1.37 p.m. writer. He actually wrote the article that we have released a while ago on Crosshouse and what they're doing in the space. And so we're going to have that pinned up if you guys want to check that out after the spaces or even during. So for people who don't know what Crosshouse is, you guys want to own an NBA team and you guys are a DAO. And that's what most people know right now about you guys. Is there any introduction that you want to give to the audience? Yeah, I mean, it's um, we've outlined a roadmap to acquire a majority position in an NBA team. We have this realization pretty quickly that if you snapped our fingers and we had you know $3 billion in the bank account and we tried to go to the NBA to go buy a team, it wasn't going to happen. Um, you know, there's legal questions, operational questions, financial structure questions that you have to address. And so we've built out this roadmap of how would you get there? And for us, it's really kind of three phases, build out a talented community, uh, then second, build out credibility. And then third is to capitalize uh, off of that to raise the capital to go put forth the bid. We're in that second phase right now around credibility. And what that means is minority positions in major leagues like the NBA. So we're trying to buy a minority share of, of an NBA team or, or, or even more, as well as majority positions in alternative basketball leagues. So we have uh, a ball hogs team, which is in the big three. We're also looking at international leagues as well. And so when you kind of move forward across time, then you have a portfolio of really case studies to say, Hey, we've done this, you know, we've owned these five teams. We've done these experiments. Here's what, here's what works. Here's what doesn't, here's the financial structures we can use to go to this. We believe that we have to get to that position in order to have a realistic shot of getting them to accept a bid. And at that point, you know, you should have a really strong track record and hopefully a strong working relationship as well, being a minority owner in, in the league. So that's kind of the journey across us on a more detailed level. Yeah, thank you so much. That was a lot of good insight. And you guys do already own a team, correct? Could you guys give us more detail on that? And that's just kind of the first step into owning um, an NBA team. Yeah, certainly. So a few months back, we acquired uh, the Ballhawks, as Commodore mentioned. Uh, they are a team that is currently in the Big Three, which, for those of you that don't know, is Ice Cube's professional three-on-three basketball team. Uh, sorry, basketball league. Um, head coach by legendary Rick Barry, um, Hall of Famer. Uh, our captain is Leandro Barbosa, who's a longtime NBA veteran and um, and uh, ring winner recently, actually, with the uh, with the Warriors. Um, so we actually think it's an amazing first step in kind of proving some of, some of these concepts out. Um, it's the first time we really got to take all the things that we've been talking about in theory and, and literally put them into practice. And so um, it was that nice first step where you have a lot of player prestige. Um, a lot of the guys in the big three are former NBA players or at the very least former professional players that have played overseas. Uh, and so we get to kind of exercise all the things that we've been thinking about, like, um, how does a distributed online community help out with analytics and player personnel um, and uh, in stadium, you know, fan bases, right? Like all these things that you could do kind of collectively as an online uh, organization, can we actually put that into practice? And 
It was actually a great, great test run for us because we had the wildest fan base, I think, in all the big three called the pig pen. Um, our analytics team put together scouting reports every week for the team, um, even even post-game analytics for it. So we really got to take and, and show off what a bunch of basketball fans from all over the world can do if they actually own a team. Uh, and so it was a really, really eye-opening moment for us where it's like all the things that we kind of we've been discussing like hey how is this actually going to work uh, as Commodore mentioned like operationally financially um we got to actually take a crack at that and so um yeah we are we are the official owners of the ball hogs and we're excited for next season yeah it was it was so cool getting to see you guys um you know go a full season owning a professional team like that um you know we were just wondering were there any kind of big learning moments for you guys or, or moments that stood out that kind of you know, is, is going to help you build upon where you are now? I would say the one, the biggest insight for me personally was this idea of fractionalized ownership resulting in access to a team. And what I mean by that kind of in more layman terms, it's like I watch the big three casually as many other NBA fans, and you're watching Joe Johnson, you know, do ISO Joe and get some buckets. You see some highlights here and there, but you know, you really weren't like pulling for a particular team. And, and you know, before we got involved with the ball hogs, like, you know, Barbosa, yeah, like great player, enjoyed watching him throughout the years. Jody Meeks, like sure, right? You know, like not this deep, deep affinity. It's not like we were drawn to that that particular team for um, these kind of pre-existing fan reasons. Yet you sort of fractionalize that ownership and you start giving uh, this sort of ex- exclusive access and experience to that team. And, you know, I found myself like just cheering at an incredibly deep level very much like how i cheer for the milwaukee bucks you know late in the playoffs just sort of being immersed in in having access to that experience and i know flex has some similar experiences with that from his alma mater of like like matching some of that same energy and what's really interesting to me about that is like fractionalized ownership and then giving the exclusive access to that that ownership thing that you that you required like a sports team is actually really, really special. And one of the things that we talk a lot about in crypto and Web3 is like, what are the key use cases and which ones are going to stick and things like that. And I actually think that that one is a really, really underappreciated, very material use case that we had a good little case study of saying like, yeah, that's a pretty strong emotion, which then means there's a lot of value, which then means that there's a lot of validity in the experience of fractionalized ownership of a professional team. So that was a really, really great insight for me personally. Yeah, small small anecdote there. Um, Barbosa hit a hit a game winner uh, in a regular season game, and like seeing him celebrate with the Krausehouse patch on his jersey was like the most legendary thing I think like a moment for me <laughs> that I've ever had in all of sports. And like um, at my alma mater, uh, Auburn War Eagle, for anyone that knows Auburn, um, we went to the Final Four, like which was emotional roller coaster. We won the national championship in football, and I put that game winner right up there with all of the other ones um, for a regular season game. Uh, and it's simply because you know we're part owners, uh, and I think psychologically that does a lot um, to an already very irrationally uh thing like fandom right um being being so tied to these organizations and these teams but now when there's an ownership component it just it just changes everything like somewhat meaningless meaningless regular season games become the super bowl right they become game sevens and so that was really interesting to kind of see play out for the entire community yeah and you guys talked about how how you had that just passionate fan base um and I know that adding that that ownership detail just makes you even more want to want to cheer for your team. 
Um, we were just wondering kind of where did your guys' love for basketball come from and, and kind of why you decided to make that jump? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think back to my earliest basketball moment. I think it was just growing up. I grew up out, uh, right outside Washington, D.C., and I was like, I mean, it was early, maybe like kindergarten, first grade. I was like, I, I saw people playing, and I'm like, wow, that looks cool. <laughs> let's let's do it. Uh, and, and never look back. Commodore and I actually were in the same third grade class, and I think, um, not sure quite really how you make friends in third grade, but I saw him with a Chicago Bulls hat. I had a Charlotte Hornets starter jacket, and I was like, all right, like, you know, let's, let's be friends. Um, and so our basketball careers have kind of gone very similar paths. Uh, uh, still play pickup pretty regularly. Uh, and so, yeah, like we've just been longtime fans of the game, both from playing recreationally and also uh, from, from watching as well. I'm still, he abandoned the Wizards, which I still give him crap for every now, every now and then. I'm a Wizards fan, but he's a, he's a Milwaukee's Bucks fan. To be very, very clear here, Milwaukee Bucks fan for like 15 years. So it's been, it's been a long, I'm not too proud to say I cried when they won the championship. It was a long road. No, be proud of it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Congrats to you guys. (laughs) It's a great question. I mean, the, I think the quick answer is no, Um, they haven't gone down that. Um, Ice Cube and Jeff, the two co-founders of the league are certainly very open-minded and exploring and, and have a quite a good grasp. It's, it's actually kind of, it's a kind of a funny story is like when I, we first heard, got wind that they were interested in doing some NFT stuff. I, I sort of like um, probably the cynic in me who kind of rolled my eyes a little bit of like, okay, like what's, you know, what's this next new NFT project and what are they thinking? And then uh, their kind of white paper, internal white paper for lack of a better word was, was provided. And I read through it and I was like, wow, this is actually like, they're really, really pushing the envelope and, and they seem to understand and have a really good grasp of like what they want to do, what they can do, what would be smart and not smart in terms of, you know, rules and regulations. And um, was like, oh, this is actually like pretty compelling. Uh, and then talking with Jeff specifically, um, it was it was quite clear that he, he was trying to do something different than I think a lot of the kind of more scam oriented type NFT stuff that was brewing around that general space at that time. Uh, and it was just really exciting. It really felt like kind of core Web3 ethos and trying to do something really powerful. So I wouldn't put it beyond them, but I know they just recently integrated, uh, did a partnership with like Microsoft and starting to put in deep analytics. And we ran a bunch of manual analytics process to like do our scouting reports that Flex sort of touched on it. But it's, um you know, one of the beauties of owning a team like this is like, you know, it's the big three. Most of these guys are retired. You know, they're they're not they get competitive and so they're playing hard, but it's, you know, it's not the NBA, it's not for an Olympic gold medal. But one of the really exciting things is, is like, we take it really seriously because it's part of the portfolio of success. And so we by far had the most in-depth analytics, scouting reports, uh, player rotations, plus minuses, like, like everything you'd want as a, the most data nerd basketball fan we were providing to the ball hogs and, and understanding and analyzing every single team. And so um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity for, things like that but you know they're kind of still i think tackling one thing at a time but i think treating treating that stuff as a test net is actually is actually really important right because i think that is our opportunity uh to share a quick story i think the first couple weeks we were kind of treating it like an analytics assignment like um full scattering report breakdown um some basic shooting percentages then rick the head coach was like hey this is actually really interesting stuff you should actually start incorporating some strategy here. Like if you guys think that there's something I should look out for, then let us know. Uh, and we had our, our, our head data scientist, also a huge basketball fan, a longtime player. 
started dripping kind of like, Hey, like if Alonzo Gee gets to the corner, you should trap him because you know, he, he struggles from shooting there and like we can cause some turnovers. Um, and I remember after the, after that, I think it was probably week three, uh, Rick sent us a text afterwards. He's like, I, I literally incorporated this stuff into, into the game and strategy. So like kudos to you guys. That was really impressive to see, keep, keep them coming. And so, um, could we do that day one in the NBA team? Probably not. Um, could we do that with a EuroLeague team? Maybe. Uh, but I think the big three allows kind of that playground to experiment and, and run these kind of like test net type operations to see what what these teams or what our team can do to 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 help win yeah it's a, it's a good question there's there's two kind of high level things and then and then I'll one specific thing i think the two high level things is that you're right around this trend of how dows sort of are organizing and then executing i think we're starting to have some clarity on like what things are dows are good at and which things they're not and i think that this like, general idea of delegated governance is certainly, I think, a trend across all DAOs of saying, here's how we get things done. You might pool together this capital that might be able to unlock this sort of this fractionalized ownership opportunity, but then the execution and the management of that <clears throat> is still sort of a more, um, you know, republic rather than a direct democracy, right? And we see more efficiency in that. And, 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 and more importantly, not only efficiency, but like stability to actually execute the whole point uh, of the entity. I do think like sometimes people uh, in the community, uh, you know, want direct democracy for all decisions. And I think that generally speaking, one of the fascinating like unlocks, right, is like, I don't think DAOs are corporation replacements. Uh, there's certainly going to be some areas that they replace, but Having the ability to collectively promote, uh, de-promote, fire, hire people within a company that's not just the, you know, the executive structure of like a centralized organization actually is a really big innovation. Um, and I actually think sometimes we also gloss over the power of just even giving a group of people the ability to say, hey, like, you know, uh, Sarah should be our CEO for the next you know, quarter or the next year or the next four years, whatever it is. Or oh, we should remove that person. Normally, that decision is really relegated to the board of directors um, in a typical cor corporation or, or just the sole business owner. Uh, and yet you could you can imagine a world where just giving the employees a bit of a voice, not even necessarily 100 percent of the voice, is an entirely different work culture, an entirely different ecosystem. How the relationship between the leadership of that organization and the workers is entirely different. It's a really, really great book called Reinventing Organizations, if anyone wants to, to nerd out on it. They talk about actually about a bunch of companies that have explored these models over the last like 40, 50 years, not using crypto as the background, but sort of organizational principles. Um, I think that even if DAOs enable that world, that's actually really, really uh, in a powerful world. So I agree with you on this like delegated governance thing and like how do we make decisions in those areas um, is probably the, the kind of the pattern at a high level. And then specifically, it's worth highlighting exactly what the ownership structure looks like in, in the big three is that Jeff and Ice Cube, they really needed to thread this needle between um, giving the NFTs having power to, to like actually sort of own a team and what does that look and feel like. And then also being fully compliant with SECs and selling securities and interfacing with a lot of these native DAO protocols, because there's obviously a lot of unclear regulations on where we can interface. And so what they tried to do is they really tried to focus on, on access as be, access and media being the two key tenets of ownership. Um, and I think what's really powerful about that idea, and this is something we're doing with Krausehaus, is that when I say the word ownership, we tend to imply three things. We tend to imply 
that you have access to the asset that you own. So imagine, you know, house as an example, it's like I can go into the house I own, right? I have equity in it. I, I have a like a financial incentive for this thing. If I sell it low or sell it high, I, I get a return on it. And then the third is governance. I get to decide what to do with the house, right? So it's the difference between renting and owning. It's like, I want to take down this wall or do this other thing, right? So when we say you own a house, you typically mean those three things um, are, are the things that you're implying with that word owner. And so what I think is so powerful about this whole movement in crypto is that we're going to have the ability to remix those three things in different weights. And in some cases, not at all. In some cases, uh, all the way. And what I mean by that is you might have access to a team and then you might have the experience of being an owner, but not actually own any equity in it, right? What does that look like? That is an entirely new type of quote unquote ownership that we're not really used to experiencing, but you can do with NFTs, tokens, and, and the ways that we might structure the actual business relationship between that protocol and the team's asset. And so I'm kind of getting weighted into the weeds, but what I think is so powerful about that is um, some people might have a blend. They might have actually raw equity into that. Some people might have access. Someone else might have governance in the thing, but maybe no equity or maybe no access. And you can play with each one of those, those variables. And so to kind of bring that back into example, you know, we might like our, one of my dreams with Krause House is they have a 14 year old in India who is like, you know, she's just an absolute basketball savant. This has amazing general management kind of instincts and just would be a fantastic general manager right now for, for that girl to get into that position of power is nearly impossible. But if you start to think about those three things being remixable, there's nothing stopping us from saying like, okay, the way the SEC works, the way the MBA works, the way that US regulation works, the actual equity of this particular thing is going to sit within this legal structure, but there's nothing stopping that group from delegating governance into things like influence and general management to that 14-year-old girl in India. And if she does a great job, there's nothing stopping us from giving her an amazing ownership experiences of actually coming to the game, uh, you know, sitting in the owner's box, going courtside, watching a practice, like all those things are amazing experiences, right? But equity can sit somewhere different. And in some cases, other people say, no, no, no. Like I actually just want the equity. Like that's what's important to me. So you can remix all three. So that was a long, long answer. But I think that's the part that's really exciting. So the big three is really focused on access and media for us. And that's where we're experimenting. So for us, it's like, which one of those components can we learn about that we can apply to that credibility phase that we're trying to build out? That was a great, great answer. Very in-depth and Great question, Ezra, as well. And you talked a lot about governance and giving people um, at this agency, making them feel like they're part of the community and that making such a big difference. I want to ask you about the three different tiers of membership, um, courtside, club level, and upper level. Um, they're all, um, the prices are different. Um, upper level is 0.25 ETH to be a member of club level is 2.5 ETH and in court side is 25 ETH. And could you just talk about what benefits each tier has specifically? Yeah, I can take a stab at this. Sorry, Flex, for the for the long answers here. But um, so we did an NFT sale to kind of kick off the project. And then those three tiers were the different levels of, of sort of access that we were trying to experiment with. So our community did you know one other thing, which was like, 
hey, we wanted to do NFTs for access and tokens for governance. The way that mirror structure worked, like those kind of uh, those things were a little bit more intertwined. And so I think the delineations between those levels made more sense in the context of that exact conversation. There was another NFT sale that we've been doing around this world's first digital physical basketball court that we did NFT NYC's three on three basketball tournaments. And that had another kind of level of, of the difference between those levels. So it's important to kind of the context of those different things. But the way we generally think about that is that like those are higher levels of access and the things that we want to go and do. And so I think at the simplest level, that is like, how do we provide higher access for the folks that have, you know, courtside style experience. But I think that more materially, when we get into the actual equity positions and as we bring those opportunities to the community, because those will probably exist as sub DAOs, uh, that will work from the top tier down. So folks that have courtside tickets will have sort of first access to the ownership positions and then depending on how they fill out and then the club level and the court um, uh, upper level. So it's really just a sort of a mechanism to us have some sort of um, variable of sort of access and then be able to work through these kind of smaller group of people, a medium group of people and a large group of people. Got it. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was um, a great answer. And Flex, if you if you want to jump in as well, um, always love to hear your insights. And some of the um, decision th things that you can make decisions over, I was reading over your website. And just for anyone who's interested, some of the ownership decisions um, are marketing events, being able to choose a team uniform or just um, parts of the team uniform, um, player events, approval of key executive hires, like you guys mentioned before, like who you think should be the vice president of operations or the head coach, et cetera, and um, the location of the team as well. Um, so th that's super awesome for people who are part of the DAO. It, it, it just really makes people involved in a way that no one has ever been before. So. Yeah, it's worth it's in some flex just texting me. He's having a little bit of Wi-Fi issues, so I'll probably keep rolling. But um the what's well, worth noting that it's like we have to work with every single league and and kind of ownership structure and what are the things that they're willing to let us go do, right? And like I think that's one of the things that's different about Krausehaus as compared to say Constitution Bow, right? It's like, hey, you can go buy the copy of the Constitution and go do X, Y, and Z with it, you know, afterwards. But it's like like we need to sort of exist within a business partnership with the rest of the owners, right? And so one of the things that we're really you know, beholden to is having to operate within that structure. And so one of the things that's really important for us is like, what are the areas that we can test now? What are they willing to let us step into? And then what are we going to have to push for later, right? And we kind of think about those three kind of timelines for us to be able to have governance. The second thing is, is that having talked to some front offices and, and putting forth this bid of being a minority owner, I think they all really, really resonate with a meritocratically delegated governance system. And what that means is saying, it's like, it's not necessarily about having 10,000 people say we should, you know, let's use the Bucks as an example. We should uh, offer Chris Middleton the super max or move on from him, right? It's like, like, and then let's put on Thanasis and whether or not he should have a player option in year three, right? Like all this, like going from big, big decisions to really small decisions to concession price stuff. But what they're really interested in is like, how can you use the, the community to highlight who's good at what, and then have a system or a process or a game, whatever different mechanisms you kind of dream up to bring the top five people in the community that are good at X and then empower them to have an influence in that thing, Right. 
And I think that's the part we naturally do that as humans, right? You know, you might have a friend who's really great at, at, you know, cooking and you have another friend who's, you know, really great at, you know, setting up camping gear. And it's like, you don't ask the camping gear person to go cooking and the cooking person to do camping. Like you have your friends do the things that they're good at. Right. And so that's, I think this general mechanism that they're really interested in. So that's like part of the challenge of the DAO is to say like, okay, so if you do have 10,000 people are interested in doing everything uh how do we go and determine the five best that can have that voice and then maybe they help for one season right and then we have another process to find the next five or sort of reconfirming those five for the next season right and i think that is a much more palatable way for these teams in these leagues to be like okay like now i can see how a DAO could interact with this because it's not just ten thousand people telling us what to do they're going to use that process to find the best voices in that. And I think that's fundamentally different than the way that we've been operating in society, you know, up until this point, it's like, I'm a Bucks fan and I will never have a voice in the Bucks. right now. There's a path. It's, it's not necessarily going to be quote unquote easy. Or I can't buy my way to the top, but there's a path for me to, to earn it. And I think that's, that's really what, what's efficient and, and powerful. The, the only thing that I would add um, to that is after having these, conversation with front office, I think our minds immediately go to, you know, player personnel and kind of general management, uh, what gets the community really excited. Um, but a lot of these multi-billion dollar brands operate very much like mom and pop family businesses, right? Like you'd be surprised how behind they are on simple things like sales CRMs, right? They have kind of the intern sales guy putting together the CRM and doing sales ops stuff, right? There's very like low lift things that we can do as a globally distributed community to immediately add a ton of value to make the operation run a lot, lot smoother. So if you think of ourselves like this infrastructural middleware that brings kind of these, these huge billion dollar brands closer to fans, which they totally want to do. And then the value proposition on the fan side is relatively straightforward. All the things we've been talking about with governance, um, shared upside, reciprocity, like all these things that come with this, this fractionalized model, we want to kind of be that layer in between to kind of help help smooth those things over. And so for a one or 2% stake, that's a huge value add to some of these owners who haven't really even spent a lot of time thinking about how to do that. Um, so that's where we kind of want to step in. Like, I think one of our main value propositions is that, hey, for anywhere from a one to 3% stake, yeah, I think I think there's a, a, a bunch actually, um, I'll highlight one in particular. I think Commodore mentioned earlier. I think the the events team at NFT NYC um, was 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 amazing to see. Like I think it started out in our general channel. Like, hey, what is what is everyone doing for NFT NYC? You guys have any plans? And essentially, like almost eight strangers. I think maybe a few people knew each other before, but but essentially, eight strangers got together and pulled off what was widely regarded as one of the most fun events at all of NFT NYC in less than sixty days. And I was joking around with them. I was like, I remember I, that was a that was a bet we made. Okay, let's bring people together and move basketball culture forward, right? We had a three on three tournament. We had a slam dunk contest. Um, as Commodore mentioned, we 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 fractionalized the actual court that was installed and sold them as NFTs, and and whoever bought the NFT, he got the got the physical representation of the court themselves, right? So. Uh, an amazing, amazing impact. And then kind of parlayed that whole team and experience into, into what we're calling cross-house experiences, right? We got inbound from Fortune 500 companies to, to work with us. Um, some, some players, cur- both current NBA players and retired players that were like, whoa, this is actually really cool. How do I get involved? 
Um, and so now we're right, with another one coming up at DesignCon in Orange County, uh, maybe something for the start of the NBA season as well. And so that was just like a massively, and, and Commodore and I will be the first to tell you, we, were, we had very little involvement in that. Those are just that we, you know, besides maybe a few introductions and joining a few calls, that we were mostly hands-off. And so to see that come together in the way that they did, and then obviously, and then flip that into an entire experiences division within Krausehaus has just been incredible, incredible to see. Yeah, that's actually like in, really amazing to hear that the the community was really the ones kind of making the push for for those live events because I think the events like Kraus Jam and El Clasico de Casa Kraus have been extremely successful in facilitating growth for you guys and also giving utility to to people that are investing. So, how important are putting on more events like that for you guys in the future? Yeah, I think extremely important. You mentioned. Um, uh, the Casa de Kraus uh, Classic in Guatemala, like, you know, we, we really, 50% of our community is actually based outside the U.S., right? And so we think bringing this kind of global community of basketball fans together to do these activations is, is something that not only is, is great for just basketball, but also great for our mission, right? I think a lot of these owners are, are thinking about ways to break into other markets. Um, Southeast Asia, obviously huge. China is huge. And South America is even, even getting a lot bigger nowadays. Um, and so we had a, a tournament hosted in, in Guatemala. Uh, and so it was fantastic to see people like wearing crosshouse jerseys. And um, there, was a, there was a girls tournament, a boys tournament, and just like wildly successful in that regard. Um, so we're looking to do those things very similar all over the world. I know you guys had talked about earlier that Rick Barry was was the coach of your big three team. Um, and, and I know that getting to interact with an NBA legend like that must be must be a lot of fun. So I was just wondering if you guys had any kind of funny Rick Barry stories or um, if you guys ever tried to kind of explain what a doubt was to him and maybe what his reaction to that was. Yeah, Rick, Rick Barry is a uh, he's a he's a character. Um, it, uh, so one, one thing that's really interesting about the big three for any hoop fans generally, again, like I wasn't, you watched hoops, you know, at, uh, I'm in my mid thirties and kind of just going to this, this experience. It's sort of just surreal, right? It's like you have Gilbert Arenas on the sidelines. who has got Nick Young and this team McCorn, and, you know, and like, you know, you know, Dr. J walks by and like, you're just like, like, where am I? Right. It's just like, so it, you, you sorry, I obviously can tap in all this nostalgia and it's a, it's a really surreal experience. So, um, but Rick, uh, yeah, he, he does underhand, you know, free throws and feels that that model is, is vastly superior to, to any other shooting style for free throws. Um, and we were talking about golf and, and for, for the, for the record, he's actually like a top, I forgot what he said, but he's like a top 10% pickleball player. I think he's about, he's like 80 something, or maybe just around 80. It's like, he's, he's up there in age and he's, he's, he's very kind of fit and, and athletic, clearly genetically gifted. Uh, but he's talking about golf and he putts like you would uh, putt a, a bowling ball. Like, so what described there is like, it's like, imagine you're going to roll a bowling ball down a bowling lane. It's like your body is kind of turned kind of at this like 45 degree angle, kind of like sideways. And then you, kind of move your arm back and then like through, right? Sort of this like side motion that's down the lane. He putts like that. And so he was explaining how if you putt like you would bowl, you can be a much better putter. And he's a fantastic golfer, uh, coincidentally enough. And so he, I just thought it was so funny. He has an unorthodox free throw style, 
Of course, he has an unorthodox putting style. And of course, it's superior to the, to the traditional method as well. So um, he's, a, he's an interesting dude, but a real good guy. I didn't. I didn't know we had so many uh, Rick stories. I, I forgot. I forgot about those. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely things about things from from first principles um, and total total granddad energy. I love him to death. He'll call me in the middle of the day, like asking something about the scouting report. Next thing you know, I'm on the phone with him for an hour talking about pickle pickleball, his favorite Mediterranean restaurant. Like it's it's endless. But he's he's a great guy and like. He, he wants to learn. Like, I think, uh, I forgot about his putting, his putting style and all that. Yeah. He, he totally thinks about things like everything he does. It's like, why is it done like this? And I think that there's a better way. So believe it or not, like, uh, he, he's actually very receptive to, to what we're doing, what we're offering. He's like, listen, I can't explain crypto, but you guys are adding a lot of value. And like, that's all I really care about. And I love what you're doing. So he, he was great to work with. Yeah, it's, it's worth noting the big three recommended because they were like, hey, which team are you interested? And, and then we were looking at some of the rosters and we were talking about the coaching and some of that. And they were like, look, Rick has like got to be one of the most open minded people you know, like you'll meet. You, you should meet him. Uh, and so it's a big reason that we wanted to buy that specific team was to work with Rick. Uh, whereas we heard sort of the reputations of other coaches in the league was they either we didn't take it too seriously or if they did take it too serious or if they did take it seriously, it was kind of my way or the highway. Um, so very, you know, authoritarian. And so I think actually, you know, coincidentally enough, Rick has a lot of crypto ethos uh, <laughs> built into him. I think that's great. That story about his putting. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to trying to recreate that motion. Maybe I could get it, get a couple of strokes off my golf game, but um, we'll definitely have to see. Um, I was just also wondering if you guys did get the opportunity, if you were given an NBA franchise right now and you could pick any player in the NBA to start that franchise with, who do you think you guys are picking? I have a feeling that there might be someone on the Milwaukee Bucks that you guys would pick, but but I, I just, I'd like to hear. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to go Giannis. He's getting a little old, so I, I can hear some arguments that depending on what your roster looks like, you might want to go younger, you know, maybe go more Luka, but I just think this guy is too dominant, so I got to go Giannis. Yeah, I'm gonna go. You you already said it. I um, maybe I have recency bias with watching uh, uh, Luca's um, kind of the the tournament that they're playing over in Europe uh, and and what he did to France. But that's a, that's an incredible talent right there. And Young, I, I'm gonna lean. I'm gonna lean you, uh, Luca, with that one. Both both excellent answers. They're they're both feasting right now uh, in in the FIBA FIBA games. Um, Definitely, I would say Giannis or Luca. I would I would be more than happy to start an NBA franchise with, um, and yeah, I think you know just to kind of round it out, you know the big goal here is for you guys to to purchase an NBA team one day. Um, so just kind of wondering what's the next big step for you guys, or kind of where where are you looking next? Yeah, we just pu- published on our mirror crosshouse.mirror.xyz. Uh, the community's kind of ratified, you know, midterm strategy for lack of a better word. We've, you know, we have the roadmap, which I walked you guys through, which is obviously that credibility section can be, you know, five years, 10 years, you know, it's a, it's a long-term thing. And so we wanted to really get some alignment on what does it look like in the mid game. And what that document really articulates is a continued focus on this minority MBA position. Um, I think we've looked at a lot of European positions and almost every single time it's like a really convoluted deal. Like, I mean, there's so many war stories that I could share about some of these, you know, pitches and offers and 
conversations we had in the Europe world and then the back channel we get from our kind of MBA contacts of like, yo, that league is a mess. Like, don't touch that. Or like, oh, you better, you know, we better partner up with a, with a Greek person, you know, in order to work in the Greek uh, professional. Like, it's just like, it's just and like one of the deals we had, it was like, hey, you got to buy this land. And if you have the land, the government's going to rezone it. And we're like, well, when are they going to rezone it? And they're like, well, we don't know. But if they do, it's going to be 10x the value. And we're like, well, then why are you selling it to us? And we're like, well, we just don't know if and, and it's like, what is going on, right? And it's so amazing how actually trying to interface directly with the MBA is that it's so much more professional uh, than a lot of the European stuff. Not to say there isn't some interesting leagues out there, but the MBA truly is an exception. I mean, it is the most prof profitable, highly growing, popular um, one, and the rest of the leagues really, really struggle. And so in that game plan, we really said, hey, let's really, really hone in on delivering this MBA minority position. We have a lot of good conversations uh, in process. We have a great financial and, a, and a, a legal structure to get those deals done that are compliant with their bylaws. So it's like, let's just sort of double down on that and, and try to get that over the line. And then we're open to uh, leagues that that uh, international leagues that make sense, but they need to be somewhere near break even. They need to have a sort of a clean, reputable kind of deal structure that we can go in. Like some of these small positions in these small random clubs is just too distracting. And so that was another change. Um, and then being open minded to other sports as well. I think part of this whole journey, you start to realize that sports ownership as an asset class is predominantly owned by similar people uh, for across all sports, you know, LeBron, you know, owning some soccer and like, obviously he wants to get in the NBA. It's like people, people that are into sports just want to buy all the best assets in the professional sports. And so our kind of journey has um, exposed us to a lot of those opportunities as well and saying like, okay, like what are the things that we can extrapolate? If you did own a soccer team, what could you extrapolate back into basketball? And there's a lot um, that, that that's overlapped there. So number one in minority position, number two is, uh, international basketball leagues that meet our bar, which is near break even and a reputable league, which is, is kind of rare. Uh, and then the third is like, what are the other inter interesting sports that might come across our desk? Amazing. I'm excited to, I'm excited to hear what the future is and, and see like this, it's such a cool experiment, you know, like having people own portions of an NBA, of a big three team with aspirations of being NBA. Like it's just, I swear I say this every spaces, but it's just, it's an exciting time in the web three space with so many experiments going on. So it's, it's just cool to hear. Um, yeah, we appreciate that. And one thing flex alluded to that I think is worth highlighting is use the word middleware. And I think that anyone who's working in this crypto space, it's like, you know, DeFi cracked this use case for us to like a lot of people to understand the mechanics of, of all of these interesting financial instruments. But there's been a challenge to sort of interface back to the traditional world, right? And so we've seen centralized companies like Coinbase, you know, take components of DeFi and then kind of insert it into their product experience and build products and services around that. And I think that we're entering this phase broadly of this middleware layer of saying like, okay, DAOs and DeFi and, you know, crypto, it's like, it has these unique use cases that you can apply to different problems and solutions. You then have the traditional world that either wants to move capital into that or take the benefits of that or, you know, sell an asset into that, right? The, the, the big three, right? There was a whole conversation like, like, what are we selling this thing to? And like, what are we trading back, right? Just like kind of lawyer stuff to figure that out. And I think there's this really interesting phase that we're entering, which is like, who can figure out the different middleware kind of objects that are 
willing to sort of take on the risk of interfacing directly with like a native DAO because they speak and and live and breathe that world, but then also have sort of like the plugins for the traditional business world to interface with. We need to make these interfaces that connect two systems. And that's what I think Krauss is sort of specialty and magic that, that we're trying to build is like, okay, this is how the DAO ecosystem and DAO native contributors can interface with these amazing assets that are in the real world. And until you make that bridge, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a pipe dream and that's what we're trying to build. I love it. I love it. I love it. And speaking of amazing on-chain assets, I believe it's time for the PO app. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It is time for the PO app. What is a PO app? PO app is proof of attendance protocol. And it's a free NFT that you will have to commemorate the space we're giving away right now. So follow the instructions and you'll be able to claim. Um, in one of the pinned tweets, we have an article referencing the full uh, breakdown, but here's an abridged version. To commemorate our second to last Web 37, that's right, second to last. We will be doing one tomorrow as well. I'm not wrapping up, but we will be doing one tomorrow as well, just so you know. Little community jam for celebration of Web 37. <laughs> and Justin sent in our chat, ball is life. Um, amazing. Let's open it up to... Q&A. If anyone from the audience has a question, comments, um, if anyone is a holder, be sure to request. Now's the time. No shilling. I swear, if you shill, we're kicking you off. It's that simple. Um, <laughs> Got to lay down the law out here. Um, is there anything that we, and while people are coming up to request and we get people on stage, is there anything that we have not covered yet that you guys want to talk about or points um, about Krauss or even doubts in general, like anything at all that you guys want to ask? No, thanks again for having us. It was um, it's a great session. You guys asked a lot of amazing questions, so excited to hear if there's any questions from the audience. Love it, love it. Ooh, Drip Ballers, longtime listener, is requesting. We'll get them up at his speaker. We'll fill the time here with more words as they come up. Drip Ballers is a speaker now. How's it going? If you could choose any team to own, which one would it be? That's a good question. Um, like I grew up, in, like I mentioned, in the DC area, so I'm a longtime Wizards fan, and like that's been emotionally draining on its own. So if I owned it, I think it would be like I think I'd be in like deep depression. So I don't know if I don't I can't say I'd pick I'd pick the Wizards. Uh, Commodore definitely would go for the Bucks. Um, I think about this all the time, and my answer constantly changes. I think being in a, in a major city, right? Like if I was in New York with Brooklyn or Net, uh, the Knicks, those are probably off the table for now. Uh, same with Lakers and Clippers. Like, definitely, there's a there's a geographical component to that answer. Um, but another thing is like I like teams that kind of have this young core around them in like small markets, like Cleveland and uh, and Memphis. Like I, I really like how those teams are kind of shaping up with them. Um, yeah, sorry, I just gave like five teams, so so it's not it's not a great it's not a great answer. Maybe because of the recent trades and how um and how the Cavs are looking, I think that's I think that's kind of an interesting an interesting team. I think they have a, a a nice core that they're going to have for for several years, and I'll be I'll be interested to see how that plays out. So, but mind you, this changes like on a weekly basis. So, apologize. Appreciate everyone for coming out. Um, this has been a really good spaces. You guys are very well spoken and thoughtful and intelligent i was messaging the team behind the scenes i was like dang they're pretty good you know um so thanks for coming up here and um yeah spending time uh all the speakers and the listeners as well
It's uh, those are kind words and we appreciate it. And I will say uh, Flex and I having started this, you know, idea and the amount of conversations that we've had that have been, you know, really this like, like really like, ah, I'm not sure I should even talk with these guys. They're probably idiots. They think they can buy an NBA team as a Dow. And then we're like three minutes into the conversation. They're like, I just want to say for a second, like, you guys are actually smarter than I expected. You actually have a roadmap that could like maybe work here. Um, that's kind of insane. And I'm like, I'm like super excited. So we, we, we hear that a lot, but we are like, um, question mark. <laughs> I think it's the beauty of the audacious vision though. I, you know, it is kind of a stupid idea at first pass. And then you start thinking with enough time, money and reputation, it's doable. It just takes time, money and reputation. So how do you get there? But, um, we appreciate the kind words. Wait, quick, um, Commodore Flex, who is the most emerging NBA player right now? That's a really good question. Yeah, that's good. I like, again, with my Cavs pick, um, I think Darius Garland's about is set to break out. He's just looking really, really good. Um, rookies. So Commodore, Commodore and I attend Summer League every year. Um, and uh, uh, Banchero looks really, really good. Um, what do you think of uh, Keegan Murray? Yeah, big surprise, actually. I was not big on him uh, pre-draft, pre-summer league, and he did impress me uh, a lot. I think I think the Kings might have, might have finally found, found a, a decent draft pick. Dang, nothing about Detroit. Real sad about that, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, Ivy looked good, too. Honestly, we saw, did, we see, did we see two Pistons games? Um, I don't know. I, I'm, yeah, I think I, so. Yeah, yeah. Jaden Ivey looks really good too. Yeah, no, the, the young talent in the league, actually, we just recorded a podcast around this recently. Um, the, you know, the Trey's and Lucas are, you know, entering prime ish territory. The rookies look really, really good. I'm excited about the future of the, of the uh, NBA, ta- uh, of the NBA talent coming in for sure. Love that. Love that. Let's, um, we are a little bit over time. Appreciate everyone. Seriously, everyone for coming out. Um, listening to this conversation. Hopefully you learned something. Check out Kraus, Kraus House. Follow them for updates if any of this has been of interest to you. Um, and I do have one announcement, exciting announcement. We, uh, 137, we're writing an article about uh, Tijo, who is doing this, like, uh, he did the blue rectangle, and there's this wave of other artists using this blue rectangle. It's like this movement that's really taking over the one-of-one artist space. We do have an exclusive article, his first article that has been written. We're posting that tonight. So just wanted to announce that that's very exciting for us and I think for the art space as well and to cover an emerging artist who's really, really making waves in the NFT space and and sharing their lessons and any insight that they have for up and coming artists. It's really, really special. So that's coming out later tonight. So be sure to check that out. And this has been Web37. It's been a recording. We have a podcast. We have all... 63 other episodes on all streaming platforms we cover the movers shakers builders a couple of DAOs, whether it's sports music a, a bunch of different stuff there's something in there for everyone so check it out on all streaming platforms and uh catch up with us tomorrow for our final there's a tear coming out of my eye a final web 37 likely at 2 p.m i'm sure and uh erica pinned the the blue rectangle um art movement that's going on there so thank you everyone so much and uh Thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for having us. 
Hey everyone, this is Erica, NFT editor at 137. Thank you so much for hanging with us on our Web 37 podcast. This is unfortunately our last episode, but you can still find artists, builders, projects, and up and comers in the Web3 space and beyond with us on 1.37 p.m. And follow me at Erica Lee TV, E-R-I-K-A-L-E-E TV. Thank you so much for the journey, guys. It's been awesome.